episode four of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. I'm Doug. And I'm Pete. Pete, you sound a little different today. Why don't you tell the listeners what's going on? So I booked this uh, holiday months ago before Doug and I finally decided to stop talking about and actually doing a podcast. So I'm currently uh, in the mountains in central Cyprus right now in a little town called Omoto. But I think it's a fitting sign because... Omoto said the word Moto in there, and you know the Canucks have a large history with that team. Nice. Well, and this has to be a Canucks podcast first. I, for this time, it's probably any kind of podcast first. <laughs> uh, do you have a beer? Yes, I do, actually. I went to a, a pretty awesome brewery last night. Uh, it's on the western side of Cyprus, it was Aphrodite's Rock Brewing, and so I got one of their EFDs for tonight. What do you got? Uh, I've got a Stanley Park Brewing Sunsetter Peach Wheat Ale. Uh, summer's pretty much over here in Vancouver. It is raining today. Uh, we got recording on Sunday. Um, but yeah, uh, let's uh, crack into these. All right. I'm going to get this thing open. There we go. All right, man. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, it was uh, it was actually really nice to see some of the players uh, that I hadn't had a chance to see in person yet. What sort of turnout was there from fans? Uh, surprisingly low. I thought there'd be more fans in the stands than there were. Um, but yeah, it was it was a surprisingly low turnout. But there was some. Uh, Travis Green was in the stands, Benning and Wisebrod were both in the stands, and then there was a bunch of uh, media members, Harmon Dial, I could see, was in the stands, Ryan Beach, now, you know, hired by the Canucks. I don't know if the Canucks really promoted the whole event as well as they probably could have, because if I was in town, I definitely would have gone to that and checked it out. So, we're kind of going to do this like a reverse interview, because you got to kind of fill me with all the gossip and who looks good and what was going on there, because I've just been following it vicariously through Twitter. So I'm going to kind of go through a few of the players here and just get your thoughts on how they looked, if that's cool with you. Absolutely. All right. Well, let's start with the big boy at camp, Quinn Hughes. How's he looking out there? How's his skating? Has he beefed up at all? What were your impressions of Hughes? Uh, yeah, as far as his physical prowess, he didn't look any bigger than last year. Um, the thing that I honestly... I was most impressed with Hughes about, and again, they're only random practice drills, so you know, you take it with a grain of salt. But it was actually his defensive play. Uh, a lot of the times they were doing like two on one drills or two on two drills, three on two drills, and Hughes, you know, would, would tie up, you know, the offensive forward, you know, along the boards or, you know, push him out to the outside, and, you know, the offensive forward would either, you know, have to turn around or look to pass the puck. So it was actually his defense that really stood out to me more than his offense. Well, that's good to hear because I know a lot of the talk has been pairing Hughes with a bit more of a stay-at-home type. I know a lot of people think Chris Tanner is going to be the guy that he's with, and Hughes obviously has that reputation of being a bit more of a roamer, wouldn't you say? Yeah, exactly. Um, but one thing that Hughes, you know, I think wasn't this year, but the last year in the World Championships – you know, I think he said that, you know, people were talking about his defensive game and he had said how, you know, he had no goals scored against him or maybe it was only one goal. 
And, you know, his because he is such a dynamic skater, I honestly do think that his defensive play is a little better than people think. Gone are the days of the big physical guy who just kind of bullies you into the corner or, you know, clutch and grabs you. And a lot of these really, you know, high-end defensive players are good partially because of their skating. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it's true. It's no longer the, the kind of pylon big bodies and modern-day defensemen have to go north-south as well as east-west, and it's not necessarily about hitting a guy anymore. It's more about staying on the guy and being active with the stick. Exactly, and that's what he was very, very... He was very active with his stick. Well, that's, that's great to hear. Um, the other guy I'm really curious about, uh, and I know we've talked about him a lot in the last couple episodes, is Ole Olemi. And this is... I mean, we all know the story with Ole... Uh, but it's, everything we're hearing is that he's coming into camp sounding good. He, it's already kind of stated that he's going to start in Utica, and he's even made comments about starting in Utica. But how did he look out there? He looked okay. I And again, I'm no scout, so let me preface that. You know, I'm not like some of these guys who watch, you know, uh, endless amounts of tape of players and all that stuff. I thought his edge work looked a little iffy, and his acceleration off the line looked a little iffy. But his positioning was great. You know, he, what he would he would make up for, you know, his lack of acceleration on certain plays with his positioning, and he was able to cut off the angles. And he had a very good active stick. He was able to break up a lot of the three-on-two plays with his stick. Um, but his skating did look like it needs work. He looked like a guy who hasn't had a full summer of training, at least in my opinion. I know some other people on Twitter have said that they thought he's looked okay and that you know he looks fine. My personal opinion, he does look like he's a little bit slower, a little bit, you know, not as uh, sharp on his edges as some of the other players out there. Do you the team has him on a short leash and has told him not to exert himself? Because I know that they have said that if there's anything that looks a little bit off, that they're going to out can't. That has anything to do with that? I mean, it could be. Like, I think... Because of the comments Benning had made uh, to the province, I think it was Ben Kuzma, where and apparently the first list uh, the Canucks released, Yolevi wasn't even going to be at Prospects Camp. And then all of a sudden, it was like a day later, he is going to be in Prospects Camp. Um, so it was a little strange to me, um, you know, that there was a bit of misinformation going around. So I, I think you make a good point. I do think that maybe the Canucks brass have told him, hey, you know what, just... Get out there, get your timing back, get a feel for being on the ice with you know people with other players again, and see where it goes. I don't think they're trying to like you know force him into uh, exerting himself too much, and I think it will be good. Look, obviously you don't like the Canucks to just announce before uh, preseason starts that he's going to be starting the season in Utica, but it, to me it makes the most sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. It makes, a, it makes a ton of sense. And you know what? I'll trade Gil Levy kind of getting his feet wet and looking average at prospects camp for being healthy this year and gaining steam as the season goes on with Utica. So we've talked about two of the three youngest defensemen, but let's talk about the youngest defensemen that we have at camp. And one of my favorites, who I'm really excited to see another season in the WHL this year, is Jeff Wu. And how do you Jeff Wu Good. He was him and uh, Zach McEwen were probably the two most physical people on the ice. Uh, every little drill that Wu was in, it seemed like you know there was a bit of a 
physicality going on. You know, he was, you know, either slamming the forward down to the ground or finishing his check along the boards. I thought Wu looked good. Um, he uh, he had good poise out there. Uh, there was nothing that, like, overly, like, stood out to me as far as his skating or, you know, when he was on some of the offensive rushes. He didn't look, you know, over the top. However, he definitely was physical. He definitely finished his checks. And he was another guy who was fairly positionally solid. Again, some of these forwards, obviously they have more momentum. They would kind of blow by him a bit, but then he would cut off that angle so they weren't completely behind behind him and had a free pathway to the goalie. So I thought Wu looked good. He was very physical out there, along with, like I said, Zach McEwen. Well, he's the biggest defenseman at camp, and uh, McEwen's the biggest forward, so that's, that's good to see them using that. I think it's pretty much a given that Jeff Wu is going back to dub this I mean, I just don't see any way he's going to be able to get on this team, and I'm okay with that. You know, maybe we can see him at the uh, World Juniors this year as well, and hopefully we can catch him when he comes up to Langley at some point this year as well. Yeah, I I really hope he can make the World Junior team as well. Um, I guess, I mean, it depends if Kale McCarr can make Colorado, or sorry, not Kale McCarr, Bowen Byron makes Colorado this year. I guess there, there is a spot that opens up on that World Junior team. Uh, but yeah, I, I think it would be great um, benefit for his development and experience for him to make the World Junior team. That being said, you know, even next year, I think a year in Utica would be good for him. I think he's one of those guys that's going to, you know, come along slowly, uh, which isn't a bad thing. Uh, defensemen, like we've been saying, do take a lot longer to develop than forwards do, generally speaking. Mm-hmm. For sure. Speaking of the juniors, uh, a guy who is a bit of an outside shot right now is our fifth rounder from this year, Carson Fox. Um, and just what did, what did you notice about him? What stood out? Again, he was fairly physical out there. Um, yeah, I mean, I he wasn't a guy, to be honest, I was paying a ton of attention to. There were other players I was trying to focus on more. But the flashes I did see of him during the practice, uh, he looked good. He looked like he belonged. With a couple of years more development, you know, he could be knocking on the door for, for an NHL job with this club. Yeah, and the Canucks have done all right with this rounders over the years as well. I mean, got out with a fifth. Uh, I believe, well, I think Madden was a third, but they've done well with uh, with picks in that range, uh, especially with some, some of these kind of low-risk, high-reward guys. They're like Fox going in the fifth round. I thought that was a pretty good pick when they, they got him. I know there are a lot of people that were fairly divided on him. So, you know, it could be one of those project picks who comes around for the team here. Um, and you also mentioned Zach McEwen being physical. Does he look uh, like he's a bit of a level of above some of the other players up there? I mean, he's one of the older players in camp. He, he did to me. He looked like he was the most, of the forwards anyways, he looked like he was the most NHL-ready um, they had him skating a lot with uh, Gadjevich and Lind as far as like a three forward rush um, skirmish. And to me, he definitely looked like he was the most phys- uh, most ready to be an NHLer. Lind looked okay. Gadjevich's skating to me is still a bit of a concern. Um, his stride looked a little bit more fluid than normal. Um, but to me, McEwen absolutely stood out as far as the, as far as the forwards go. Well, he's got some of the most NHL games under his belt out of that crew. I think Justin Bailey actually has the most. And I also think Justin Bailey is the oldest forward at the camp. I always get a kick out of him. He's a 24-year-old who already has 63 NHL games under his belt and playing as a prospect. I mean, this guy's 
seen around forever. He's over 200 games in the AHL as well. Uh, but he's another guy who um, I think fits nicely into this, this whole depth here. But he is uh, he is one of the older players in camp as well. Him and McEwen up front, they're kind of the two guys who do have the most experience, along with Francis Perron, who we, we talked about but played a bit as well. Um, Bailey and Perron both have initial games under their belt. Did you see much of them? Were you paying attention to them out there? Uh, not really. Like I said, they didn't have name plates on the back. They just had numbers. Um, and I didn't have... Uh, the I guess the list of the players and what numbers they were wearing. I, to be honest, I was focused more on like obviously for forwards Lind, Gadjevich, Focht, and McEwen, and then I was focused a lot on the defensemen. Uh, obviously, uh, Mitch Elliott was there. He looked okay. Um, Quinn Hughes, for obvious reasons, uh, Yalevi, uh, Jet Wu. Pietro head and shoulders stood out against all the other goalies. He looked extremely focused. Um, he was dialed in on all of the script or the, all of the uh, drills they were running. Uh, he made a couple of really nice saves, actually, like uh, cross ice saves. Uh, you know, on a two on one scrimmage, uh, Pietro looked really focused and like he was there to kind of prove that he's ready to you know be be a professional goalie. Uh, Silvas or Silvios, again, sorry if I'm mispronouncing his name as well. He looked good. Yeah, I, I don't know. We're, we're getting with it. Yeah, he looked good. He was solid. Um, he was very per- positionally sound, I thought. Um, but the athleticism of Di Pietro, to me, really stood out. And just how focused he was on every minor drill that they were running. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good that's to hear because from what I understand, Di Pietro is Utica down this year, is he not? He is, yes. Yeah, excellent. He's uh, kind of going into the role that Patrick Demko is vindicated down there. And after a bit of a, a loose bag of change for goalies that we had this year, it'll be nice to have another true number one down on uh, the Comets team, which I think is going to shape up to be a pretty good team this year. Yeah, I think so too. They, uh, again, provided injuries and whatnot. I, I definitely think the Comets uh, should be a competitive team and they should, you know, hopefully make a playoff run. Yeah, I agree. I think they've got enough talent. I think the team has done a very nice job of uh, making depth one through eight positionally in all the forwards and, and again, creating a top four team on the blue line, which is something that you know, I, I don't think we've done in a very long time. And, you know, the goaltending pipeline 
is looking pretty good. Hopefully, if Michael Dipietro gets a call up this year, it won't be the same as how he had to do it last year. Yeah, no, hopefully not. And I, I think Pietro will be a little bit more ready um, if he was called to an NHL game this year as opposed to last year. Uh, do you have any more thoughts uh, on the camp? Uh, any any players, uh, the way it was done, just just kind of the overall atmosphere, just uh, any final thoughts with it? No, I mean, all the players look to enjoy themselves, and there seemed to be some decent camaraderie camaraderie between a couple of the players um they were obviously you know after their drill was over they were like huddling up and kind of talking and uh i saw McEwen a couple times and uh Yolevi and hughes kind of like talking to whoever they were paired with you know saying pointing you know and figuring out that they should try to do this next time on the drill so yeah it was nice to see it was nice to see that a lot of the players even though it was just a practice they seemed to be taking it pretty seriously and it's a small group of players, too, so this is a, a bit of a trimmed-down amount of players and just bringing the guys that we really want to focus on this year. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I think it's just always good to get up, get these players up to the big club. So guys, like I mentioned earlier, Travis Green was in the uh, was in the stands, as was Benning and Wisebrod, for them to kind of see, you know, how and if these players have developed over the summer. This obviously would be the first time any of the management group or coaching staff get to see these players uh, after the summer and to see if they've actually put the work and the time in in their off-season training. Well, hopefully if they've been working out like PD has there, I think we should be in pretty good shape coming to the main camp. Uh, so Doug, any final thoughts from the weekend over there? Uh, no, uh, I'm just looking forward to main camp starting uh, so we can uh, see all the players in their prime. Obviously PD, like you just mentioned, is uh, beefed up a bit. So I'd like to see him on the ice and uh, let's hurry up and get Besser signed. And we're here at segment two of the Canucks Speakeasy podcast. Uh, sorry if there were some audio issues in the first segment. Uh, Pete, tell the people uh, where you are now. I had to move towns because the audio connection in the mountains of Cyprus is so bad. So I'm actually in the capital now, in Nicosia. And uh, we're finishing this at uh, six in the morning my time. So that's some commitment for our five or six viewers out there. <laughs> Hey, man, that's what it's all about. Um, so, yeah, for this segment, we're just going to talk about some trending Canucks topics this past week and uh, just kind of discuss them. So, uh, Pete, what are some of the topics that stood out to you this past week? Well, the first one I want to bring up, and this is beating a dead horse a bit, because I don't even really want to talk about it, but I think it needs to get mentioned, is the uh, Jake Gardner signing in Carolina. And just from watching it from afar over here, my phone started blowing up and is, is, again, one of these polarizing divides on Canucks Twitter nation. And I just want to put this to the rest once and for all. I think if Gardner had signed with us back in early July, people would be saying, oh, he's the right hand to be, and he's not the type of player that we need. We need more size. And then if we waited this long to sign Gardner, we would have had two months to listen to Canucks fans freak out about how our blue line was still missing a piece on the left side. Yeah, and I think it was kind of a. It, it's just one of those things. Like it doesn't matter. Just let it go, people. I look. I agree. It's one of those topics that I know everyone's gonna, you know, put the shoe on the other foot and be like, "Oh, see, this is what happens when you wait to sign free agents in the off season and all that, you know, trash." You know, it is what it is. We have Tyler Myers on the team. 
This defensive core is better than it was last year moving forward. Did we overpay slightly? Perhaps. Is the term longer? Yeah, probably. Is the term longer than you know what a lot of people wanted? Perhaps. However, we brought this up, I believe, on episode one. You know, we could still lose him in the expansion draft. You know, we don't have to protect this guy, which is actually kind of a big deal. I'm not sure what the uh, details exactly of the Jake Gardner uh, contract are and whether or not Carolina will have to protect him come the expansion draft. But that was a big deal for the Canucks to not have to worry about protecting Tyler Myers. I don't think Carolina does. I know he has a modified no trade where he uh, can't be traded to seven teams, and I wonder if Toronto is one of those teams. But uh, yeah, it, at the end of the day, it it just at the end it really doesn't matter. This reminds me back in February when Boston got Charlie Coyle from Minnesota, and the headline on TSN was the Charlie Coyle trade. What it means for the league. But really, it doesn't mean anything for the <laughs> Just a big Gardner signing in Carolina doesn't mean anything for the Canucks. But that's just the way it is. Carolina's doing their thing. We're doing our thing. Just let's, let's let it go. I couldn't agree with you more. I think we've already wasted too much time on this topic. Uh, what's another topic and that what? piqued your interest this week? Something more positive uh, would be Jonathan Tate's comments about Bo Horvath, uh, which I thought was great to see. I, I've long said that Bo Horvat is our Jonathan Taves, and Brock Besser could be like a, a B-grade version of, of Patrick Kane here, but I thought the comments he made about Taves, or sorry, about Horvat were quite flattering and quite nice to hear from a guy of his caliber. Absolutely, and I think you know, Horvat himself has kind of got to, you know, be flattered by those comments, and I think just the fact that, you know, Taves thought, you know, can see that this kid is a natural leader, I'm hoping that the Canucks management group will, you know, do all of us a favor and just name Horvat the captain sooner rather than later. Um, but yeah, I think it goes to show that, you know, Bo is getting more and more recognition around the league, especially for a guy who hasn't really had any top line or decent wingers to actually play with these last couple of years. He's still producing at a, you know, fairly decent clip. Yeah, his points per game, considering the rotating door of line mates, is fantastic and you know the way the effort he's put into his skating as well in the off season with the strength and conditioning coaches uh and, and just you know all signs are pointing to him being the next captain of the canucks i'm going to read the quote that taves uh, said here uh, at the media day because I, I always kind of recognize the guys who do have a ton of skill but are playing a two-way game and aren't filling the net or getting the points every single night bo Barton is a guy who i like because of the way he works if you go head-to-head with a centerman like that you're not going to have any I think that's quite complimentary. And, and Taves as well, a lot of the years, puts up in the upper 50s, low 60s, which is where Horvath has been hovering in points as well. His point production has increased every year. But the, the, the similarities between these two guys, I think, is, uh, is pretty uncanny. And if, if, if Horvath can do anything like a Taves over his career, and I think he's already starting to a bit, I think we, uh, we have a real gem here. And we have the future captain of the Canucks. And I'm going to say that before opening night, they're going to name him as the captain. I hope you're right. I really do. And the other great thing about Horvat currently is he's on that sweetheart deal that Benning doesn't get a lot of credit for signing him to, and he should. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, the cap hit on the Horvat is uh, what? What is it now? It's five point five. I think it's five and five point five. Yeah, because yeah, uh, for four more years, including this. Yeah, uh, yeah, it's a great deal. Yeah, 
Yeah, and also worth noting, that's the same amount of term that JT Miller has, and if, uh, you know, we, we talked about where JT Miller is going to bounce around the lineup, but there's potential there for some chemistry for a few seasons. Pearson's got a couple more years, uh, Berchie's got a couple more years, so hopefully this year we can find some stability for him, but the guy's still putting up 60 points with uh, that rotating door of line mates. We just got, I think a lot of us forgot about that with all the Pedersen hype last year, but he's going to put up 61 points last year. Yeah, it was a really big deal in my opinion. And the fact that he was able to do it, like he said, with a rotating door. I mean, him and Pearson obviously had chemistry, but Pearson it was trade deadline. So it would have been, what, February when Pearson joined the team? Um, so really, yeah, was, yeah, like he didn't really have anyone solid to play with for, you know, the majority of the year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he had five less points than Pedersen. I know that Pedersen had 11 fewer games under his belt, but second on the team in goals, one behind Pedersen. You know, Pedersen at 28 goals, before that 27, that's your 26 last year. That's a pretty promising sign just to see. But, I mean, we can sit here and praise Bo Horvat all we want. I just wanted to really highlight what uh, Jonathan Cage was saying about him because I think that uh, that may have flown a little bit under the radar around the rest of the league. But I think Vancouver fans took notice, especially coming from a bit of rival with the history that Cage has with the Canucks. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, moving along, uh, Gold Open signs. We were predicting around 1.1, 1.2, and the Canucks get him for a one-year show-me contract at 900K. What do you think about that? I mean, even if you're not the biggest Goldobin fan, I don't see how you can not like that contract. Um, you know, you get him for probably below market value. Um, it is a show-me contract. Right now, his value is clearly at an all-time low. Um, but he's got, you know, a possibility here to, you know, bump up his value and whether or not his future is with the Canucks or with a different organization, time will tell. But again, nice work by Benning and the rest of the management crew to get this deal done. I, I think it's a home run. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the interesting thing is how well he's going to come into camp because he doesn't play well enough and they want to send him to Utica. He has to clear waivers. Do you think he gets claimed if he gets sent down to, uh, to Utica? I think I think someone would take the risk with him with a 900k contract. I could see a team, uh, maybe an Anaheim for, or an LA, for example, who would have seen him a bit more in the San Jose system and have some space and are in rebuild mode. I could see them taking a flyer on. Yeah, guys with his skill set generally tend to. You have teams that are more willing to you know take a flyer on guys like that as opposed to a bottom six guy who's just kind of you know uh, checking forward. And when we did our roster projections uh, before, I had Goldoven as my 13th forward. I still think that could be where he starts, but I would love for him to come in and have a great camp, work a guy like Berchi maybe down the lineup a bit, put Goldoven in a top six to, to start it off, and let's just see what he's got. I mean, he put up 27 points last year. He almost doubled his production from 27-2018. He played in 25 more games as well. Sometimes statistically are trending in the right way. I know the defensive issues that he had, and if you look at some of his analytics and metrics, they were certainly there. But I think this is a guy, and I know there's, it's a divisive topic online with the free goalie movement and people who just see him as a liability defensively, but I, I would like to see him really get a legitimate shot because what if, it's a big what if, of course, but what if this guy does get a bit of chemistry on with either Horvat or Pedersen or Miller, and is able to chip in twenty goals. What a what a bargain and what a find that would be for the team. Again, this is just captain positivity. 
talking here, but I'd like to see a little bit more what we got with this kid. And you know my thoughts of keeping a Russian on the team with Von Golden a couple years away as well. Yeah, uh, I look, I agree with all those sentiments. My big issue is I just don't see Green, I don't know, Green, for whatever reason, doesn't seem to like him. Um, and I think that's going to be a bit of an issue uh, for Goldie being an everyday player. He's, you know, I, I feel like he's much harder on Goldobin's mistakes defensively than he is on other players uh, defensively. But I guess, you know, it's, yeah. it's part of growing pains. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, it's a new season. Maybe I like to think Green is a bit of a fresh slate, see how guys come into camp and, you know, see what he can do. I think uh, Green has been, always throughout his career, he's shown a bit of tough love with some of the younger kids and uh, down in Utica as well. And I think maybe this year, Gold Oven comes in, worked on the things that he wanted to work on, or Coach Green wanted him to work on, comes in stronger and faster and more defensively sound. Maybe it's a new slate. So it's going to be an interesting thing to watch uh, his deployment this year. I'm sure it's going to erupt the fan base one way or another, how they're utilizing him and using the vice time. Yeah, and, you know, nice little segue into another topic here. But, you know, the way uh, Green played Hutton last year, and I know he was kind of forced into playing Hutton as much as he did last year. But the year prior, you know, Hutton was in the press box, especially late in the season for... A long time so and he played Hutton and he seemed to have more confidence in Hutton last year so maybe that'll be the case for Goldie this year and uh, yes yeah, speaking of Ben Hutton he still is without a contract are you a little surprised about that a, a little bit and again I think toward the end of last season as you were mentioning well sort of season four when he was in the press box that was when his value started to decline because he did have some fairly high value a couple of years ago uh, but he's just fallen out of favor with his team, and I, I don't think a lot of teams can figure out where to price him. I think I, I'm surprised he doesn't even have a PTO. I, I feel like he might be destined to go play in Europe, but I'm, I'm just kind of speculating there. And I also wouldn't put it completely outside the the box if the Canucks were to bring him back on a cheap deal and two two way contract, have him in Utica, but. I, I don't really see a lot of value in that. Look, I wasn't the biggest Ben Hutton fan like I was with most of the defensive core. I, I didn't like the way Hutton broke out of his own end. I didn't think he was the most intelligent player at times, especially on the power play. I just didn't like what he did. I, I think other teams see that too. I, I don't think people really know what they're getting with Ben Hutton, and, and I wonder if he's priced himself out of a contract here or... Yeah, I'm just not really sure what what the deal is with his camp right now. Could he sign a one year, one million somewhere? Probably, but who's got the space for it? Who's wanting to do that? Yeah, I mean, this is the time of year where a lot of teams are trying to figure out what they have in their own backyard, so to speak. And who knows? Maybe you know after training camp when you know teams can kind of assess who they have on their roster and who they think may or may not make the team. Hutton could be offered a contract. Uh, was it? The year Vanek signed that one-year deal, wasn't it like the day training camp opened the Canucks signed him? I believe it was. I could be wrong, though. I feel like he was a later signing. Yeah, I don't quite remember when it was, but he was definitely a later signing, for sure. Yeah, I, I can see a team that, that, that has a bit of defensive holes, maybe a team like Winnipeg or Ottawa, kind of seeing what they got through camp and signing him to a, a cheap deal, but... I do think at this time of year, teams want to see what they got first before they go out handing another contract to to a guy when some of these teams are getting close to the maximum contract as it is already. Yeah, that's a good point as well. I do I do also think that 
Hutton is young enough, though, that, you know, I do think he will be signed by an NHL team uh, this year. It's just, uh, yeah, I'm just a little bit surprised it hasn't already happened. Mm-hmm. There's been rumors that L.A. is looking at him, and I think that would be a good fit. I wouldn't be surprised if the Kings were to, to go for him. They've got some space. They need a lot of help. But the Kings only have one contract spot left, so that would put them at the max before the season even started, which is a little uncomfortable. But when you look at the Kings' depth chart, like, I don't know who half the guys are that they got on the blue line this year. So he would certainly help them out and certainly be an upgrade uh, as well over, over some of these guys that they got. Uh, but they only have two left-handed D on pro contracts in L.A. right now. And uh, I can't remember. Is, is Hutton a left or a righty? I can't even remember. I, I think Hutton's a righty. I'm actually fairly uh, certain well, he's a righty. They, they have a surplus there already, but it, it's that's a team that I'm looking at their blue line in. After Dowdy and Martinez, it's uh, it's a whole lot of question marks over there. So I can see him with LA. I can maybe see Winnipeg taking a gamble on them. They've got a bunch of pro contract spots open and need some holes to fill as well with the losses of Truba and Myers. Um, but you know, I, I I don't know. I'm I'm a little surprised it's taken this long, but I think it also just kind of shows where the value is for a guy like Hutton, and also just the question marks surrounding him. I, I, what kind of player is he? I Teams want to know that. Yeah, and you are correct. Actually, he's he is a lefty. He shoots left. Okay, which it would make sense for LA. Uh, so if I was to guess anywhere, I, I'd, I'd still say LA is a good fit for, for him. It, although, like I said, that puts him at the maximum contracts by doing that. Yeah. Um, other contracts. Uh, there's been some rumblings, and well, maybe not even rumblings. There's been some chatter online about a possible Markstrom extension. I, I'm of two minds with that. What do, what do you think about? signing Markstrom in the first quarter or half of the season to an extension. What do you think about that? I mean, I guess for me, I'm not necessarily worried about the dollar amount as much as I'm worried about the term. Um, if I mean, okay, Demko, he's at least another year, maybe two away from being a, every, you know, uh, a full season starter. Um, if you don't think Demko is the, your future goalie, then I guess you're looking at Di Pietro. And to me, Di Pietro is probably three to four years away. Um, so it would make sense if you... I, I guess it depends on how much you believe in Demko. Uh, would depend on the term you'd be willing to sign Markstrom for. At least in my opinion. If Demko is the guy that you think he is, I think Demko should be the starter. You know, He should be pushing for the job next year, depending on how this year goes for him. Yeah, I'd like to see a 50-30 split with uh, Markstrom and Demko, roughly. But the other thing to consider is the expansion draft. And if the Canucks have both Markstrom and Demko, one of them is going to be exposed in the draft, which would also solve the rest of the team's issues of who to get exposed if you do lose a goalie. But there could be some thought of maybe a, a one- or a two-year extension for Markstrom, and, and then you have your two goalies, and but you're likely going to lose one to Seattle, I would guess. But do you think Markstrom's camp is going to want to sign a one- or two-year deal? I think they're going to... I mean, this is going to be Markstrom's last chance, in my opinion, to kind of get a long-term guaranteed contract. So I'd be looking... I think he'd want anywhere between a four- to five-year deal, personally. I could be I, wrong, but... I I think it's more likely uh, that he goes for that. I agree. Um, but I'm just thinking of the Canucks side. That... Unless you're you're totally sold on him doing that with, with like you said with with Thatcher Demko right there it's it's show me time for Demko he's battled injuries as well but 
Demko, it's always being thought of as the goalie of the future, and I want to see what he can do in 30 games this year. And I would be reluctant to sign Markstrom before at least the midway mark of the season. And again, he's a guy, Demko is lighting it up. He's a guy that you could look at moving down the stretch as well at the trade deadline if you wanted to and maybe get something back. But I, I think it's it's risky business signing Markstrom to any sort of long-term deal. And I'm not sure if it's in Vancouver's best interest to do that as well. Is Markstrom a UFA at the end of this year or an RFA? Yeah, he is, he is UFA. He, he is UFA. Demko two more years. And then he's got RFA because I think he'll only be 24, 25 then. But yeah, Markstrom is one of our UFAs in the off season, so I mean, we're kind of monitoring that. He's one of the more intriguing players we have in terms of contract situations coming up. Um, but it, it, there's a lot of different ways to go. I'd be hesitant to sign him to any sort of four or five year deal, which I assume would also give him a raise from the three and a half or so that he's making right now. Yeah, like I would be I, again if Demko isn't the guy, and you know Demko falters or whatever it is, I'd be fine signing Markstrom to like a four-year, you know, twenty million dollar contract or something like that. Um, you know, four years for Di Pietro to kind of develop. I'd give Di Pietro probably two years in Utica, and perhaps two years as the backup, and then after that, you know, Markstrom's coming off the books, and Di Pietro theoretically would be ready. Um, I don't know if I if I would push my chips for a five year deal on Markstrom, but you know I guess time will tell. I I like the idea of maybe trying to you know trade him for an asset at the deadline if Demko has really taken that step, but I just feel like goalies unfortunately they just don't have that value and I don't see a team usually teams at the deadline. I mean you can make a hockey trade I guess, but you know why is a team going to make a quote unquote hockey trade unless you're trading for another UFA? of a team that doesn't think they're going to sign their own player, I don't see a team trading for a pending UFA goalie for the most part. But I guess you never know. Yeah, it would have to be a pretty unique situation, I think, for, for that to happen. Um, also with context, have you heard anything from the Besser camp? What's going on yet? Uh, no, I haven't heard anything. Um, I know uh, Wierenski just signed a three-year, $5 million kind of bridge contract. I was actually kind of surprised. I thought he could have at least been pushing six, six and a half, but he signed that three-year bridge contract. I don't think that'll affect the Besser contract at all, but this is another RFA who is signing for a little bit less than I think what a lot of people predicted all of these guys were going to come in at. Besser... Well, I think a bit... I'm still holding. I'm still holding out that Besser could hopefully uh, be signed prior to training camp opening in four days, um, but who knows? And I, I think we saw it last year with Nylander as well. I think it is important for guys to be there at the beginning of training camp and to kind of you know get their chemistry back up with the players and get the timing of the game again. You know, despite all the off-season training that a lot of these players do. It doesn't, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you can't simulate games, you know, like real games. Well, Benny sounds optimistic that Besser is going to sign. Uh, I think the team has been giving him uh, a bit of space as well with the personal issues going on with his family, which I, I think is commendable for them to do that, given the pressure from the local fan base and media about a Besser extension. I do think that it all sides agree that there's a, a lot of value with him being there for the start of camp, but I think he'll... I mean, there's a lot of optimism with it. I think that's a big part of it. And with your comments with the shorter kind of bridge deal, 
I think a lot of players' agents in particular are wanting to see what happens with this new TV contract in two years in the USA, because that is going to up the cap and that is going to up uh, the revenues as well for the whole league. So I think a lot of teams are expecting a minimal to no raise in the cap next year, and then possibly with what happens with the CBA and with the new contract, starting to see some big jumps in the cap, which will mean bigger for contracts about three years from now. Yeah, no, I agree with that, and I, I think that's a very valid point. A lot of these guys aren't wanting to sign that big six, eight-year deal because of that, because the market could totally flip in two years, especially, well, like you said, the new TV contract comes in. Seattle is in the league now as well, so you have another team that you know has 50 contracts to hand out and you know needs to get to the cap floor, so I think those are all great points. Um, one other thing with contracts, Landon Ferrero comes into camp on a PTO. What do you what do you think about that one there? Yeah, I, I like it. I mean, obviously, you know, I really like Ray Ferraro. Uh, I think he's a he's you know BC boy. Um, yeah, I like his commentating. I think he's a he's a smart guy. He's plugged in, and Landon is a guy. You know, he was a f- former first round pick by Detroit, I believe it was. And for whatever reason, yeah. he's just had issues. You know, with injuries. Second second rounder over there, I believe. Okay, uh, but I can't quite remember. But you know, still, you know, a high draft pick. Um, but you know, for he just he's had injury issues, which you know obviously derails a lot of players. Um, but I like it. I think it's more of a showcase and a favor to Landon as opposed to him actually having a chance to make the team. But who knows? I mean, if he again comes in and you know does a good job and you know is actually you know making it tough for the Canucks to actually cut him, uh, he could make a roster. Uh, I, I remember a few years ago the Canucks. Didn't they have Owen Nolan at one on a PTO one year for training camp? Yeah, they, they did. Yeah, they did done a few PTOs. There's Mark Parrish as well. Parrish, yeah. Another guy that they had. They've done PTOs before. I don't think they've ever signed one. Uh, I, I mean, they may have signed someone. I can't really remember anyone that stands out. But Landon Ferraro has 77 NHL games under his belt. He played last played in the NHL in 27-18. He got a couple games with the Wild, but he was injured most of last year. He's, again, he's a local kid, though, as well. He's from Trail, and this is a guy who's getting on with his career, and this is just a nice opportunity for, for him to come home. I, I have no problem with him signing him to a two-way deal and putting him on Utica as well and seeing what he does. He did have, in his earlier career, he had some good seasons with Grand Rapids, uh, but he's just kind of tailed off since then and hasn't really been able to stay healthy. Yeah, I think that's been one of his biggest issues is he just can't stay healthy. You know, he... I, um, I think he. I think he could help Utica. Um, you know, I think depth in Utica is definitely needed. I mean, last year, especially with all the injuries that the Canucks were having, we were constantly calling people up, and that you know obviously hurts the Utica depth. Um, so I definitely think he could help uh, Utica. I would just be worried. I know, like there is a weird rule with the AHL that if you have a certain amount of veterans, you have to start like a certain amount of them. So. Sometimes, you know, having those veterans down there can actually interfere with developing some of your young guys. There's, like, some weird rule. I forget what it is, but, like, you have to have five veterans in, in the lineup or something like that. Um, it, yeah, it's a weird one. Because I remember a couple of years ago, uh, there was issues, and I think even last year as well, actually, there were some issues because, you know, guys like Paul Mu and um, Gajevich were being benched for veterans because they had to have a minimal amount of veterans in the lineup. It was some weird rule. Yeah, so the, the rule, from what I can tell, it's uh, they, it, when you 
put in your lineup for the the game, you have to have at least 12 skaters that have played 260 or less professional games. So that doesn't count, of course, CHL games, but that does include uh, NHL, AHL, and European Pro League games. So there is there is that uh, in there, and of course Ferraro would not be under that. So he would be if if they were in a kind of a crunch spot with that, he would be in that bracket. So that's, that's a good point, um, but I'd like to see what he does. And again, this is just another pro to bring in the camp, and I got no problem with it as long as, like you said, it doesn't take away any development from some of these younger guys that we've got as well. No, and the whole point of training camp is to get guys competing, right, and to push guys. And if you have a guy, I, actually, they did sign someone, didn't they? Sign um, Cracknell? Wasn't Adam Cracknell a PTO that they signed? can't remember. I feel like he was. I can't remember how they got cracked. I believe he was a PTO. Um, and yeah, so if you have a guy who comes in and, you know, pushes guys and, you know, you know, makes you have to sign him, I, it's only, it's only beneficial in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, and again, a, a local kid and uh, I'm with you. I've always liked Ray Ferraro as well. So it's kind of nice to, you know, have his kid uh, on the team. But yeah, let's see what, let's see what he does. There's, there's no... There's not too much harm in him doing that, that's for sure. No. Um, Pod Colson over in Russia. I don't know how well you've been following this, but he's been getting some pretty wacky ice time over there. Less than a minute his first game, 10 minutes the second game, less than a minute the third game. There's talks that they may send him down to, I believe it's the VHL, which is the farm league for the KHL. Uh, what do you think of what's going on over there? Um, I, I I think uh, he's on SKA, isn't he? Yeah, he's on Saint Petersburg. Yeah. Um. So the which pr- has a pretty loaded team. And that's and I think that's the issue, right? I think it, it's one of those things where their team is very very loaded, and so I mean the the coaching staff is probably thinking to themselves, well, we want this guy to play, so we might as well send him down. Yeah, I mean, it is tough. You get these coaches who you know don't want to rely on rookie players and are a little more old school. I I mean, I I'm not worried that it'll affect his development because you know he he does seem to have that high compete level. And he doesn't seem like he's a guy that will necessarily pick up you know um, bad habits playing in a lower league or anything like that. But you know it is worrisome if he's going to be there for this year and next year. And I don't think. You know he's not cracking the lineup due to his skill set or his ability. I think it's just they have a lot of depth and they're a team. You know that's trying to win the championship in the KHL this year, and you know they've got a lot of veteran players that they're relying on. I'm, the other thing too is injuries happen to every team throughout the course of the year. So you know who knows? You never wish an injury on anybody, but there is a chance that you know an injury could happen and he you know becomes an every game player where he's playing more than one shift. That first game, I think he only played one shift, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a 40-second shift or something like that. Although, that being said, they did dress 13 forwards for that game, so he was the 13th forward. Which I think he was in game three as well. Um, I know Canucks fans are worried about it, but you're right. It is He's an 18-year-old on a men's team, and they have one other player who's even close to his age, Daniele Gileniak, who I know nothing about as a 19-year-old. But after that, I think everyone else on the team is 24 and up. And there's only a few names on the team that I think North American fans would recognize, guys like Lori Laterra and Neil Yakupov around the team, too. But these two kids are by far and away the youngest on the team. And I, I think that's just the way the KHL 
brings in these young guys. We're going to see Puck Colson at the World Juniors and any other under tournaments uh, as well, under 20 tournaments. So there's, there's, he's going to be getting a lot more ice time there. But I would like to see him playing more. I know this is good development for him, but it's, it's a tough lineup to crack in as an 18-year-old in a men's league in Russia. I know there was some talk about whether or not he could potentially get out of this two-year contract and maybe come to the team next year. I did see some people say that you know he almost has to give like 18 months notice to get out of this second year of the contract. So I don't know if it's a little too late. I don't know if you know he would want to see how the how the season you know progresses for him. Um, but yeah, I get why it's worrisome. You want your top draft picks playing, you know, in all situations in the best league that they can possibly play in. Uh, I don't know if he it gets relegated down to the minor KHL league. You know, would he regret signing that two year deal with the K? And you know, because I think he would be in the NHL this year. I really do. I think he'd have a shot at it. Um, I think it, I, I don't think this is the the end of the world if he's with the big club and and doesn't get a lot of ice time. But one shift a game as a thirteen forward just isn't enough. Uh, I'd be curious to see if he gets sent down to the DHL. That would be uh, probably the best for him right now if this is the way they're going to use him. But I, I don't know if there's any benefit for him trying to get out of his contract early. If you need eighteen months notice, I mean that's. That's still, that's pretty much two years right there. I still think you could see him at the end of year two in Vancouver. It's a possibility, but I, I'm not terribly worried. He's going to get all the junior time as well, and that's when we should really get excited about seeing him is at the World Juniors this year in the, in the Czech Republic. Yeah, no, I'm really excited to see him as well. Uh, yeah, so, so a couple more quick things here. Uh, NHL just released their, well, not just, it was sometime in the past week. I feel like I've been staring at this list for a while and yelling at the NHL. Uh, but their top 50 players list, which is kind of a bit all over the place. I don't know who compiles these rankings. Uh, but they have Pedersen at number 50. And just for a weird comparison, at goalie, they have Ben Bishop at number 33 and Carey Price at number 43. I don't know who's doing these lists, if they're just voting or with a, around a table full of beers, but better spin at 50. I know you're, I know the answer to this, but should he be higher? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I definitely think he should be higher. Um, but that's the problem with lists like this, right? It, it gets a little tough because you have goalies, which obviously, you know, they're looked at completely different. And, you know, goalies, the high-end goalies are extremely valuable to their teams. Um, but yeah, you have goalies on the list. You have, you know, defensemen on the list. Ah. Yeah, I mean, if I was yeah, to go through the list, I'm sure there's guys that could say, like, you know, I think, you know, Pedersen's better than this guy. He's better than that guy. And, you know, he is the reigning Calder Trophy winner. Um, you also get those guys who kind of make the list still because, you know, of their age and, you know, the tenure they've put into the league. I always feel like that it, that, that ends up always being kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, I think as well there's a bit of the West Coast factor. When games start at 10 o'clock on school nights on the East, you don't see those West Coast teams as much. And I'm looking some of the other guys near the bottom of the list, Logan Couture and Sean Monaghan, same sort of thing. They're, they're getting guys from the East Coast way ahead of them. Like Sebastian Ajo is a great player, but is, is he that much better than Couture or, you know, or Pedersen? I'm, I'm not sure. I think as well, you're right. So comparing goalies to defensemen to forwards and ranking them, it's just it's pretty ridiculous. It'd be like in baseball, comparing a pitcher to a center fielder. It's, it's completely different positions. Yeah. It, 
and look, I get it. You know, goalies are obviously you know part of a team, and they're you know an integral an integral part of a team's success a lot of the time. But yeah, I, for me, look, I I would think you know Pedersen maybe forty. You know, go with the number. I think you know most Quebec yeah. fans wouldn't have been too upset about that. But you know, the fact that he's like the last guy to make the list. And you know how these lists go, right? Like, wasn't it? Didn't the NHL release their top hundred players of all time recently? And Gino Malkin didn't make the list. And a lot of people are like, how is Malkin not one of the hundred greatest players of all time? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you'll never make people happy with these lists. And I think with Pedersen, maybe the Canucks' fiftieth year, and maybe being the the Calder winner, they thought they'd start the list off with Pedersen just to make it more palatable for viewers and more exciting for viewers, but. Whatever, it's just something that was floating around, and I'm looking at these lists, and I'm like, how, how did these things happen? But anyways, let's move on to a couple of fun things to kind of round out this, uh, this week of trending topics here. Um, what is your fondest memory of, of Antonio Brown with the Canucks? Uh, <laughs> so it was funny. When that broke, I was actually at the Canucks prospect uh, practice on Saturday, and it, it was cool. Um just sitting in the stands and there was a bunch of fans around again it wasn't too busy but there was a couple of fans around and they were you know we were all just kind of talking hockey or whatnot and i the two of the guys in front of me were kind of talking with two of the guys in front of them and i was like hey guys sorry to interrupt but uh do you guys see what just happened and i i showed them the tweet that the canucks had sent to antonio brown about training camp starting and then how you actually responded and, yeah, they all thought it was hilarious and jumped on social media right away to retweet it and like it. Uh, kudos to whoever's running the Canucks social media because, yeah, it blew up and, like, everybody was kind yeah. of mentioning it. Yeah, it was it was pretty funny. I thought they did a great job with that. I'm sure, you know, his, his time with the Canucks is going to be remembered a lot more favorably than his time with the Raiders. I don't know if you caught what was going on with the, with the Raiders fans chanting during that, that game. I don't think you'll hear any of that. Uh, from Canucks fans and Antonio Brown, you know, it was a, it was a great couple hours he was with the team, but he's uh, probably a much better fit with your paths, unfortunately. Yeah, well, I'm it's sure that your your paths have him and Gordon now. Oh, dude. Well, I'm sure all the Seahawks fans here have another reason to hate the Patriots, right? Even more because of this. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 To pile it on, but anyways, I thought that was you're right. Good social media work by the Canucks there. Um, and then Will Ferrell on a Patrick Demko mask. Uh, what do you think about that? Well, didn't he have Will Ferrell on his mask last year, I believe? But this year he went with the uh, the basketball movie. I, I'm sorry. Yeah. I'm not a big Will Ferrell fan. Sorry, fan I people. Know, but I, I forget what the basketball movie is. Um, but I think the year before he had Ron, Ron Burgundy on his mask, I believe. Yeah, I, I think so. I just, I just know how much you like Will Ferrell, so I wanted to, to bring that up there. Well, I know you and I have talked off air about, you know, the one thing, even though I'm not a big fan of him, the guy really does like sports. He's a huge sports mm-hmm. guy. Um, and just how awesome, you know, uh, it is that, you know, he kind of plays along with all these, you know, sports roles and dresses up and plays the part. A couple of years ago, I remember he, like, came on TSN and broadcast a hockey game, I believe. Um, so yeah, I do respect him for all that. He did the curling as well. Oh, that's what it was. He, it was the, the curling. curling that one year, yeah. Yeah, it was the curling. That's right. And uh, also, there's when he did those four minor league baseball games one day, I thought that was pretty cool. But anyways, I just wanted to see what you had to say about Will Ferrell there. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, again, I'm really stoked for this season. I can't. It can't come soon enough. Like I know we got football back now, which I'm really excited for. But you know, I I want to see some hockey. 
Yeah, and we're going to actually fairly soon be able to talk about things on ice instead of off ice. This is four episodes of off ice stuff, and I, I know that I just can't wait to actually have some games to talk about here soon. Yeah, no, absolutely. So let's, let's wrap this one up then. All right, sounds good. I think so. I got some Jefferson's Reserve Kentucky Straight Bourbon Small Batch. Uh, yeah, I like this that stuff. Sounds, that sounds lovely. If I was there and not having to drive the car in a couple hours, I'd be all over that. Um, so, what did you want to talk about uh, for you this week, Pete? Well, first of all, I'm long distance cheersing you with my, my coffee here. Cheers. Um, and I want to talk about the same thing I talked about last week, because uh, what a heck of a week it was for the first sports person of Canada, really, right now, Bianca Andreescu. That was awesome. I got up in the middle of the night over here to, to watch that. I spent out comparing her to Serena last week. She beat Serena. Just what an unbelievable accomplishment to be in that hostile U.S. Open environment at 19 years old. Uh, just an incredible support story. This is going down, in my opinion, as one of the greatest Canadian sports stories in our modern era. Cheers to you, Bianca. You've made the nation proud. She the North. Love that. Just sticking out. That was, that was great. Let's see more of that. Doug, what do you got? Cheers to Bianca as well. Uh, I'm going to go a little off script here and uh, talk about fall and how excited I am that fall is here. Look, I don't mind summer. Summer's nice and all, but I love fall, especially in Vancouver. All the leaves change. You get that like kind of smell. I, I, I don't know. I can't describe it, but you get this like smell that like the season's changing. Um, and yeah, like I said, the rain, we had some torrential uh, rain uh, today. Luckily, I just missed it. Um, but yeah, fall is my favorite time of year. You go to your local coffee shop and you've got pumpkin spice lattes, pumpkin spice muffins, pumpkin spice hand pies. Everything's pumpkin spice. Um, I'm happy fall is here. Uh, and you go to the beer store and there's 13 different pumpkin spices here. That's true as well, yes. I'm waiting for the pumpkin spice scotch to come. Oh, Lord, I'll let you drink that one. <laughs> but yeah, cheers to Paul. Best sports month of the year as well. Cheers. Thanks again for tuning in to episode four of Canucks Speakeasy Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed the show. And thanks to everyone who made it this far with getting through the, the crackly audio. Uh, but, you know, just... This is our commitment. We're going to try and do this every Wednesday, no matter where we are in the world. Next week as well, it's going to be a bit of a tricky one to do. Thanks for tuning in, and we're excited to keep this momentum going. Doug, how about hitting us with a little fade-out music today? What do you got? Uh, I got some I Feel Good by Metaform. Thanks for tuning in. See ya.
Good. I feel good. I feel good. 